I grew up then in a very dysfunctional alcoholic home. It's very violent. It just became so stressful for my mother that she just came home one day when I was 14 and said, you'll have to find someplace else to live. This little elderly lady came up and she said, first of all, she said, I looked into your eyes and they were the saddest little eyes I ever saw. I've gone through my valleys and I didn't know if I would ever be happy. I'm Pat Johnson and this is my story. I think early on that I realized that I wasn't um, a product of just my own efforts and my own thoughts and what have you, that there were many people that had input in my life, some I knew, some I didn't know, but all kinds of uh, influences in my life that I didn't even realize, maybe even today don't even realize some of them. But I remember specifically when I was a very young child, not even in school yet, and we had a neighbor who came over and um, saw that our family was dysfunctional and um, wanted to take us children to Sunday school. And so we did. And um, I just remember one afternoon that I came home, and it had been a, a lesson on um, Abraham. Um, um, that I came home and, um, let's see, I'll try to get my voice together. Okay, just a minute. It had been a um, lesson on Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And I remember coming home and going outside behind where we lived and building this little altar. And I remember kind of reenacting the whole thing. But it wasn't Isaac that was on the altar. It was me. And I didn't even remember that till long after I was an adult. And I think, um, I think the Lord just brought that back to me at a specific time to remind me that I was not my own. I was his. And so I guess the starting realization or a starting point in my story would be the fact that I, I've always been very much aware that I'm not my own that I have always been literally his. Also, for some reason, our family was not religious per se, but I always had a God consciousness, a, con a sense that I, I knew God in a personal way, and in a way in my, in my heart and spirit. Even as a little child, I remember that. And never, I just simply do not remember a time that there was not some kind of a relationship between the Lord and myself. So we grew up, and I grew up then in a very dysfunctional alcoholic home. It's very violent. Um, there was no sexual abuse as such, but it was a violent, very violent um, alcoholic home. When I was 10, um, we had the event that uh, broke our home completely up. After that, I lived with my mother for a short time in an apartment building with my brothers. Her life kind of fell apart as well. And um, due to circumstances, moms raising kids by themselves and the deficiencies and the needs and the lack of supervision and all of the struggles that these single moms go through in raising these children. And I've heard it a lot from 
the single mom's perspective, but I don't know that we hear it as much from the children's perspective. But uh, my perspective in the situation was that um, it just began, it became so stressful for my mother that she just came home one day when I was 13 and said, or 14, excuse me, you'll have to find someplace else to live. That's a kind of a heavy message for a 14-year-old. I did still, I had this relationship with the Lord, but it wasn't formal and I didn't have a support group I could go to or any of that. But the Lord was looking out for me because there was a neighbor downstairs that had overheard the conversation and then said to me, I don't know if you'd be interested or not, but my son and daughter work at night and they have an eight-year-old and they need somebody to live in and take care of him and would you be interested? Sight unseen, I said, okay. Nowadays we can think of all the things that could have been disastrous about that. But the fact of the matter is they were very kind and loving people. They had very good intentions, but they didn't know what to do with a wounded child. And so they just did the best they could, and they were good. I was with him about two years, about two, two and a half years. So another lady came along about that time and was, you know, trying to cultivate a friendship with me and had a, a relationship with my father and was promoting the idea that we could, I could be in a family again and it would all be wonderful. So I jumped out of the frying pan into the fire and went to live with her, only to find out that she had some different intentions and her motivation was probably not what we would consider really a, a good place for kids to be. So nonetheless, I went there. But again, God was overseeing the whole thing, you know, and, and he protected me, took care of me. And it was in that context that I came to know Jesus Christ in his a personal Savior and very present Lord. But by virtue of me being there, I was introduced to an elderly pastor who was just a precious old saint. And he and his wife just uh, became, for short term, the grandparents I never had. And they just loved me. And I have to tell you flat out that I didn't know what to do with that love. I wasn't used to that. But I loved, I loved being loved. It was um, through them that I came to know Christ in a very personal way. It was like um, a whole new dimension opened up inside of me because it wasn't just going to church and doing churchy things and all of that kind of thing. It was what we refer to as a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So long towards the end of that time, an opportunity came up for me to go to a Christian camp. It was called Bible Rock out of Cleelum, Washington. Long story short, that's where I met my husband. And so two years later, why, we were married. And we had what I call two years of bliss. And it was really wonderful. And then our first child was, would have been born, but died in utero. And later on, then we had a second child. And that child died in utero. And then our third child was born. And, and he actually was born. And then we found out the problem, and that was that our children had cystic fibrosis. So then we began that journey of taking care of an ultimately terminal child. And we also decided that it would not be wise to have more children with that disease, so we um, 
talked to a doctor friend of ours and ended up adopting our, our daughter, Michael Ann, when she was three days old. And of course, it's been uh, just the joy of our lives. Then we had what a lot of couples have, the ultimate accident, and her name was April. <laughs> 14 months after we had Michael, after Michael Ann was born, and she also had cystic fibrosis. Now, interestingly, um, she, her symptoms didn't show up right away. In fact, she was 10 months old when her symptoms showed up. And so we now had two children with cystic fibrosis to, to love and take care of until God called them home. April lived to be five days short of 16. And then our son just died a few years ago and uh, is probably one of the oldest CFs to, to live as long as he did. But the secret is that kids lived on prayer. We just kept bringing them to the Lord. In fact, it was kind of funny because even our doctor would say when um, April especially would get ill, he'd say, well, it's time for you people to do whatever it is you do. <laughs> we would just laugh and say, well, we pray. You know? How old was he when he died? Uh, our, our son was in his late 30s, and our daughter was five days short, 16. Through that whole experience, our doctor came to know Christ. It never occurred for me to me to ask to have well children, or you know, and it never occurred to me to worry about whether our children would be sick or well. There was no reason to to think that, but but I just knew that God would give us what we were supposed to have. And even when April came along, it was both the best and the worst thing that ever happened to me. The best thing, of course, was just her, and the worst thing, of course, was when she died. When April died. It was the most awesome experience. Uh, she was um, 3.30 in the morning, and I was kind of holding her, and she woke me up and began to brush my face and say, Mommy, I'm afraid you're going to have a rough night tonight because I'm going to die. But she says, Don't worry. I'm not afraid, and I hardly have any pain. Just don't leave me. And I said, Don't worry. I'm not going anywhere. So at a point, I took her out of bed, and she liked to rock. So we were rocking the rocking chair, and I was just holding the oxygen on her and coaching her and trying to just make it as easy as possible. Well, for a week or so, the Lord had been bringing me the verse out of John that I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when it's ready, I will come and get you. And I thought, well, that's a nice verse, but I didn't connect it to anything. So about, um, I was holding it. She had gone flat, what we call flaccid. There's not enough oxygen in the muscles to move um, the muscles or, or anything. So they're paralyzed. And she had been flaccid for about 30 minutes. And I kept coaching her, and her eyes were closed and what have you. And she, um, all of a sudden, she just opened her eyes. But she didn't look at me. She looked beside me. And she wrinkled up her little nose like she used to do when she got really excited about something. And um, then she looked back at me and tried to tell me what she saw, what was going on. She didn't have enough air to move her vocal cords. That's important to know because of the flaccidity. And then, she closed her eyes, and the next thing I know, she opens again, opens them again, and she's looking beside me. And those little arms that had been paralyzed for 30 minutes, she lifted up like that, and she was gone. And the Lord then just quoted that verse back to me. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when it's ready, I will come, that where I am, you may be always. And the room was just filled with peace. I mean, it was just almost tangible. And although there was the hardness of, of letting go of a child, 
there was such sweetness and such peace that that has stayed with me, especially during the acute time. But of course, it stayed with me all my life. And then when our son died, uh, again at his bedside, we had a, just a very, very close relationship. And he had worried about some things uh, in his life and what have you. And I had shared with him that God's most concerned with our motives of our hearts. It's not an excuse to live like the devil, but he judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So when he would call me struggling with things, we would talk about that again. And I was uh, at his bedside, and he woke me up, and he says, Mom, yeah, honey, is it still true? Yes, it's still true. You can go joyfully to the Lord. He's not only waiting for you, he's anxious for you to come. And that was his, his departure. Interwoven among all of this, the Lord allowed me to have lots of careers. And one of them was that I taught high school and loved, still do, love high school people. And then at a very unexpected time, I felt the Lord speak to me and just say, I want you to go to nursing school. And I thought, well, this has to be a hallucination. And when I tell my husband this, he's going to say, well, you know, and why don't you just paint the world or something, you know? <laughs> so I said, well, Lord, if, if this is really what you want, then he's going to have to really be for this. So I went in and talked to him, and I said, honey, I believe the Lord wants me to go to nursing school. And his answer was, well, then you better do it. And against all odds, I was able to complete my prerequisite classes in an accelerated course that summer. Then they told me at the end of the summer that the, the, the um, school was all filled up, the nursing program was all filled up, so I'd have to wait. And I thought, well, that's okay, no, no problem. I certainly don't have a shortage of things to do. And then the day the class started, the classes started, they called me up early in the morning and said, if you can be here in a half an hour, you can start classes now. And I was there. Uh, I didn't look too hot, but I was there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and went through the nursing program. Again, not my, knowing that I'm not my own, that I belong to the Lord. And again, the thing that really reinforced that, when I was in nursing school, I paid very little. Every time I turned around, I was getting a letter that I received some kind of a grant or a scholarship or just money, a check that said, this is for your schooling. And the same thing with the books and everything. I would guess that I probably, as far as our own personal finances in the, in the whole experience, probably less than $1,000. And it was uh, a full nursing program. So during this time, April was becoming more and more ill. And so it so happened in the town where I was uh, doing my nursing was our hospital. And so April many times would have to spend two weeks in the hospital or a week or three weeks. And it happened to be the same hospital that I was doing my student nursing, nursing experience in. So a lot of times I would work, do my nursing in the daytime and sleep in her room at night. And then my husband and I would switch and he'd come and I'd go home with the other kids. And once again, you know, humanly speaking, these things just don't go together. Too many things and not enough time. And yet the Lord just orchestrated all these things 
just like watching a ballet. I look back now and I think, that was impossible. All of it was impossible because in addition to all this extraneous, these extraneous things going on, I was taking care of our ill children. I was doing IVs and injections and physical therapy and special diets and, and all of this, you know. Now in fairness, I have to be sure and say that about that time, the Lord um, very sweetly brought down my mother to live with us. And although she didn't have any interest in the medical end of things, she was wonderful about helping with the kids and babysitting if necessary. This is the same mother that asked you to find a different place to live. Yes. Sounds like that relationship was restored in this period of time. Yes. After I was married, about a, about a year, I, I had always been burdened for her to come to the Lord. I sat down, wrote her a letter, shared with her what Christ meant to me, and what have you, and I actually expected that to end our relationship. And about two months later, she called me one night and said, I just thought you'd like to know that in the privacy of my home, I just got down on my knees and asked Christ to come into my heart. And you could have knocked me over with a feather because I certainly didn't expect it. And then she um, had her journey of growth and what have you, and now she's with the Lord. She was promoted last month and she was 93 years old. The Lord took something that the enemy would love to have used for total destruction and disaster and made something very lovely out of it. I look back and I think, I can't tell all this stuff because people would think I'm nuts. They, wouldn't, they would think I was manufacturing. How much can you pack into one life? I know my life is very unusual. As I started out, that we're not really our own, and I knew I was not my own. And then something that really cemented that in my heart was when I was speaking out in Beaverton at a church. And this, uh, after I finished, this little elderly lady came up and she said, you lived in Lake Oswego? And I said, yes. And she said, did you and your brother have a paper route? And I said, yes. And she says, well, I'm Mrs. So-and-so, gave me her name. She says, does that mean anything to you? And I said, yes, you were a customer. <laughs> and she says, that's right. And she said, I want to tell you a story. She said, you came to the door with your brother to collect for the paper one time. I only saw you that one time, and I think you were about 10 years old. And she said, God spoke to my heart. And he, she said, first of all, she said, I looked into your eyes, and they were the saddest little eyes I ever saw. And she said, Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, pray for that little girl. And she said, I'm here to tell you that I've been praying for you every day of my life since that day, and we were talking 23 years. Then I could look back and all the things that I did experience and, and the situations I was in and the, the different things that could have happened but never happened, that didn't. And it was because of the faithfulness of the prayer of that lady, the goodness of our Lord, and the fact that it was not my own, it was his. I think that's something that's important for people to know is it hasn't always been sunshine and roses. I've gone through my valleys and in fact it was very deep especially when April died and I didn't know if I would ever be happy again. And I just said to the Lord, Lord I don't want to just get through this life, I want to be joyful. And I can honestly tell you I have more joy these days than I know what to do with.
You've been listening to Tell Me Your Story, a program that presents real-life experiences of those in our community. Tell Me Your Story seeks to enrich others with factual, positive, and compelling stories. If you're a resident of Southwest Washington and would like to tell me your story, please contact me at tellmeyourstory@coov.com. With the hope of connecting people through stories, I'm Nalene Frunk with Tell Me Your Story. USD Media